Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome back to The Prospect Interview, where we speak to the brightest minds and talk about the ideas that matter in politics, arts and society. I'm Tom Clark, a contributing editor of Prospect magazine, and today I'm joined by Helena Kennedy, a leading human rights barrister, a Labour member of the Lords, and also the author of two books on civil liberties and gender in the legal system, Just Law and Eve Was Framed. Also with us is my colleague uh, at Prospect, senior editor Alex Dean, who specialises in legal reporting and recently ran a big piece that asked an alarming question. Is the post-Lady Hale Supreme Court going soft on the government? Now, the Johnson government, it's fair to say, is no admirer of activist judges and lawyers, nursing an enmity which intensified after Hale and her colleagues had ruled that the Prime Minister was unlawful in shutting down Parliament at the height of the Brexit crisis. But among those on the Tory right, such as the new Justice Secretary Dominic Raab, deep scepticism about human rights law in particular goes back much further. When he took up the reins in September, Helena uh, wrote an impassioned open letter for Prospect, urging Dominic Raab to speak truth to power and saying that she hoped that rumours that he was a hard nut were just that, rumours. However, in his conference speech a few weeks later, he promised to overhaul the Human Rights Act, whatever that means, um, and there's uh, uh, an official review um, uh, in the works. So, Helena, let's start there. Um, you made those rather polite notes, in a way, about Dominic Raab, but um, how worried are you? What do you really think he's got in mind? Um, well, I am seriously worried, and I think that... Um, um, we can see that this government um, um, is taking many steps to avoid real accountability. And, uh, and we've got a sort of trump light uh, playbook uh, in operation. Um, I, I mean, I see uh, the current government as, as being um, a capture of the, the uh, traditional Conservative Party um, by, uh, um, by the right-wing momentum, uh, if you like. Um, oh, and worse, actually, because um, unlike uh, momentum, which, were, which you, one might have felt was um, certainly moved by a, an idealistic um, pr- prospectus, um, this crowd really seemed to be um, very interested in their own empowerment, um, but also their rule breakers. Um, there's a sort of libertarian streak of a right wing kind, and a lot of it's about enrichment of their own uh, particular pals. So I, I, I'm alarmed um, by the fact that uh, 
this uh, government seems to be very, very uninterested in the rule of law. Um, and by that, I mean, you know, the very foundational stuff um, that makes decent good societies work um, and the conventions that there are in all of that um, of respect for law, judiciary and the separateness of powers and so on. And, and I don't I, I really do think um, there is a risk at the moment because of the, the kind of uh, ways in which we're seeing a, 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 a kind of um, rowing back from some of the wonderful advances that have been made in terms of law um, in uh, over the last you know, the, since the Second World War, and uh, and it's, it's a slow process. Law doesn't change, you know, overnight. Um, but we've seen um, the rule of law being enriched by principles which are about human rights. And so I don't think that I mean I I'm, I I think Tom Bingham was right in his his wonderful book that he wrote on the rule of law, where he talked about how you know, human rights are not some separate thing off on one side. Human rights are integrated into a modern concept of the rule of law. And that one of the roles of judges is to be protective of the general citizenry. Um, and, uh, and, and so what are the attacks that I'm concerned about? There is an erosion of, the, of uh, um, jud judicial review. Judicial review is a, is a way in which citizens can challenge decisions that are taken by those in power. And, and once you start um, unraveling that, you're taking away from citizens something that is very fundamental. I think, I think we've seen capture of a, of, of a, of a, a political party that um, uh, with a long tradition. Um, uh, and um, I feel that uh, those who are in control now, the fact that they, um, that they <laughs> evacuated um, some of the finest minds and the most, um, um, uh, if you like, one nation conservative uh, uh, folks, um, Dominic Grieve, David Gawk, Amber Rudd, uh, Justine Greening, uh, Nicholas Soames. Um, you know, that, that whole business of making, um, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it was a Trump way of doing things, which is you, you get your folk on the ground uh, to swallow a whole lot of populist drivel, and then you um, uh, test your sitting um, uh, um, member of parliament by those uh, issues, and then you end up um, uh, they're they're you know being made, being made clear to them that they might be at risk of uh, of not being um, uh, getting the support of the local party, and they end up standing down or, or stepping to one side or deciding there must be a better life than than all of this, and okay. so. I mean, I mean, you know, you know all of that, but I'm, I'm making it clear to you. I'm on the view of, that something bad is happening. There's something rotten in the state of Denmark. Okay. And, and, you know, and I, and, I, and I can smell it from North London, but I can smell it from Scotland as well. And I can smell it when I go up to the north of England, because these people who are in power just now are not respecters of the rule of law. Okay, we've got that. So we've got, um, I, was, I would say the charge, but we've got about five different charges there. Alex, I'm going to bring you in now to try and um, help us um, disentangle some of this a little bit. So we've got concern about, uh, you know, the, the role of parliament, the role of parties, the um, uh, role of the court judicial review and um, human rights. But you looked at the question almost from the other way around for a piece of reportage recently about what the post-Brenda Hale Supreme Court is doing and said, um, 
do we now have to watch the judges who are in turn operating with the uh, like watching the Johnson government over their shoulders? Yeah, um, so I agree with Helena very strongly. This is a government that doesn't like checks on its power. It, it wants to be able to do what it wants. Um, and when things get in the way, it, it tries to sort of, you know, bulldoze them. And we're seeing that across the board in the sphere of politics. I mean, we've seen that with the Owen Patterson stuff over the last few days. Um, and definitely when it comes to the rule of law. Now, disentangling that, there's there's the judicial review element, which Helena mentioned, um, and then sort of linked to that, but sort of distinct is uh, human rights. Uh, there's a review of uh, the Human Rights Act. I think it was submitted. Deadline was the end of uh, last month, so it's recently submitted. We're going to, you know, it's going to be published and, and we'll see. Um, but yes, I, I looked at it from a slightly different angle than it sort of took as an assumed premise, my piece, that the government is um, has a wrecking tendency encompassing all these elements. And then I asked, is the Supreme Court equipped to deal with that wrecking tendency? And I said, maybe less than it was, actually. And um, Lady Hale stood up to the government, most famously in the prorogation case, which is central really central to all of this um but she's gone now and uh, so have there's been quite a lot of turnover actually quite a lot of her colleagues have moved on and been replaced so i sort of tried brian Kerr, um the northern irish judge was 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 a very um independent-minded um uh, really fine judge uh, on many of the issues um um of the day and and who was not um intimidated by um by number 10 or, you know, or secretaries of state. And he, um, he left the court and he's now died. I think is that. Uh, he had uh, his memorial was last week and he, he was, he, he was a really great, a really fine mind. Um, and it was, this was not coming from any political perspective. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't political. This was a man who just really was a servant of the law, who believed in law. And, uh, and he was basically saw his role um, uh, uh, as a judge, as being about you know, preserving law and, and believing in accountability. Um, it, he, he, was a, he was a remarkable judge. Um, uh, and the loss of him is, is, is serious to the court. That, that came through a lot of the people I spoke to. Um, and then that's, that's one member of this uh, general churn um, where we've seen quite, I think, five justices who were involved in the prorogation case have moved on since. Um, and you know, one of those is the president, the new man at the helm, Robert Reed. Um, and there's, there's just big questions to ask there about how willing he is to... I mean, you know, he's a very serious judge and I'm not trying to, uh, you know, cast aspersions on his ability at all and, or his integrity, but there is clearly a difference of perspective between Hale and Reed. They're, 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 like everything else, um, people are cut from different cloth and their lives experience uh, uh, um, uh, make it different. And, um, and I think um, being a judge in Scotland um, prepares you in a different way. Um, because you have a, an additional layer of, that you're having to deal with, which is that you have Scots law and you're, you know, a, a kingpin in that field, in that arena. Or, I mean, Robert um, went to Oxford and so on and, uh, uh, um, and did 
uh, law there as well as in in, in uh, uh, Scottish universities. But he um, he is uh, um, uh, when you're a Scottish judge, senior judge, you're also having to look at the fact that some of this law that you're dealing with has has emanated from uh, Westminster. And so, and, and, and from the, the Westminster Parliament, not just the Scottish Parliament. And, and he was a judge who, you know, was post-devolution being a judge up in Scotland. And, uh, uh, and so he's, he's always had to be mindful of those different layers of government and so on, and, and probably not um, therefore keen to um, be in any kind of contention because it, it would, you know, I just think that your sensitivities might become slightly different. Now, I, now the, the thing that I feel is happening with our judges um, is that, um, you know, there's all this talk about how dare elected, unelected people be doing anything. And then you get people like Ian Duncan Smith talking about, well, why shouldn't we elect uh, judges? You know, you know, over my dead body and my dead body will come sooner rather than later because I know the age that I am and, and have the seniority that I have. And it allows me to say things because I'm not in the judicial fold. Judges can't say these things. I can say it. I do feel that um, you can create a chilling effect on judges and um, the media can do that um, and, uh, and governments can do it um, where people start sort of thinking, um, that um, they have to be mindful of that because the, the judges know that it's very important that they have the confidence of the general public, the trust of the general public. And if they're being caricatured in the media and by politicians as being somehow one-sided, one um, as having political biases and so on, that that's damaging for the judiciary. And so um, I think that the, 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 the coverage and the way in which there have been attacks on the judiciary in re recent years, and that's not new, but, you know, there's, all, there's always been, and, you know, uh, you know, David Blunkett has had his moments as well. You know, um, um, people in government um, sometimes, I think, overstep the mark when it comes to de dealing with the judiciary. Now, I, in my writings, frequently criticise the judiciary um, um, over the, 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 the folly of sometimes how they um, perceived, um, uh, you know, justice in relation to women, you know, mm -hmm. that they, they didn't, they were, they were essentially a male, white, upper class judiciary who didn't have no understandings of the reality of women's lives and certainly not to be living in the, in the sort of the life that women have to lead where they are constantly risk assessing <laughs> their daily round. Um, how, because, do we, how do we distinguish you know, good criticism of the judges from the bad intimidating criticism? Well, of the judges? well, because because I can't intimidate the judges. You know, I can say, look, I think the judges, unfortunately, we need diversity because they don't know what it's like to be a woman fearful um, of, of abuse or fearful of the potential for violence and so on. Um, that's not in their life's experience. And perhaps in, if you if you're in a very internalized world uh, and not exposed to that, then, then uh, you're not going to understand it and therefore you're, you're not going to be able to deliver um, the, the right kind of, you know, the right kind of understanding that, that, promote, that produces justice. And so but I can't, you know, I, I'm a voice in the, in, I'm not government. Mm. I'm not, you know, the editor of the Daily Mail. Um, and so my, my power is very, is, 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 is limited. Um, it makes a big difference for government um, and for ministers of state, secretaries mm. of state, to start criticising judges. That's of a different order. Mm. The, 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 the Attorney General Swella Braverman recently um, sort of like saying, well, you know, if you want to be an activist lawyer, then you expect stick like you would do if you're a politician, which is an unusual thing for an Attorney General to 
say, probably, isn't it? It'd be... Which Attorney General spoke about act activist lawyers? Cops? Uh, right. Alex Suella Braverman has spoken about, I think, about um, uh, activist lawyers. Yeah, well, uh, l l l I, I, I can't put on, on onto a podcast um, uh, my views of someone saying something so stupid um, because um, our, our whole system has been based on the idea that, um, that lawyers have to be um, uh, speak truth to power, they have to act for their clients, they have to do so without fear or favour, and that we actually operate um, internally in Britain, not ex externally. You know, we don't have to go and, uh, and uh, um, take briefs for governments that are abusing human rights in, um, in foreign places. Um, but internally, we believe that to make the system work, we must be available to take all kinds of cases. And then people develop expertise. And so, you know, are we activist judges, people who take, who take cases because they're immigration lawyers and they're trying to get asylum for people, which is one of their rights in international law and in domestic law? You know, I mean, the, the, the term activist is a stolen term from the United States. You know, it was used in relation to the judiciary by right-wing uh, critics of, of uh, uh, anybody on the Supreme Court who spoke about social justice issues. And so, you know, I, I, I really, as soon as you hear people talking about activist judges, you know that they're on the far right. It's, it's, okay, it's, you know, so, so what we've got here, we've, we've got a sense- I that... don't believe in activist judges. I believe in judges who basically sometimes come better informed about the way in which our society works and the ways in which hostilities operate inside our society and try to do justice in that wider context. I don't believe you can do justice without having a serious understanding of social justice. But, um, so we've got a very strong sense coming through the conversation. I mean, uh, like um, between agreement between two of you that, you know, the conversation as it were has taken a very- uh, a Dark turn, dark turn. Dark turn, yeah, okay. and. Uh, so, you know, the, the, there's talk about judges and lawyers in ways that <clears throat> don't like. The, there was a couple of years ago, of course, the, the prorogation um, case. There was talk about um, reforming judicial review. There's possible signs of the judges looking a bit more cowed than they were. So all of that is quite dark. But in terms of what the government has actually done, isn't the answer, Alex, not very much? We were going to have a big rewrite of judicial review and then it turned out to be something very minor um is and that right first of all alex and secondly like what does it imply for what they're going to do now on human rights yeah um so judicial review um when the government announced that it was looking at that everybody was was really worried and what came out of it it was problematic in certain ways arguably but was less extreme than expected um, but actually, in that whole episode, I think we find the answer to your question, because after the review was submitted, it turned out it was by um, Lord F Edward Folkes. Um, a QC at the English Bar um, and, uh, and essentially a commercial lawyer, but um, someone who'd had a, some experience of judicial review. Thanks, Elena. Um, and... When it came out, it was impressively serious. It was, you know, you, people could disagree with different elements of it, but it was basically a serious, good faith piece of work. It wasn't um, sort of a, a stitch, it wasn't a stitch up. Um, but the government used the folks review as a launch pad uh, for its own consultation, a sort of follow-up consultation. 
and it 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 sort of distorted the findings of the review for political ends. I, I seriously, you know, this I've got no stake in <laughs> in, in accusing the government of the of these things sort of willy-nilly it, it really did if you look at the um the questions it was asking they was, weren't even prompted by the folks review and then edward folks sort of you know this episode rumbled on and in the end edward folks had to come out and explain that statements by ministers were distorting his findings and they, they were sort of an inaccurate capturing of what he'd actually said so what we have there was a the government launching a review that it's hoping is going to be a stitch up actually the review comes in and it's a pretty serious piece of work but then the government sort of manipulates its findings for its own narrative and that's exactly what i think is at risk of happening with the human rights review the the judge doing the review is a serious man and uh, i've got no reason at all to think it's going to be um you know writ written just along the government lies that the government uh, wants it to be but then I do think there's a risk that the government pounces on what modest complaints and recommendations it makes and uses those as ammunition in its culture war I don't know what Helena thinks of that I I, I totally agree and I and I just want to, to to go back to the business of like so they 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 um uh institute um you know, a review by a sort of uh, um, one of a conservative um, figure, Where, um, and uh, and Edward Fawkes, let me tell you, is a, a, a right wing. I mean, he's not. This is not some uh, um, one nation conservative like David Gawke or Buckland or uh, who was the Lord Chancellor. I mean, he got the elbow because he was he was resisting some of the things that were being uh, done because he's a he's a he's a lawyer who knows that the rule of law matters. Um, Edward Folks is, is, is to the right, Let, let's be clear. Uh, I sat on the, if you'll remember, during the coalition government, um, uh, there was a problem of the, co in the coalition government, which was that there was a commitment on the conservative side to get rid of the Human Rights Act and on the liberal Democrat side to protect it at all costs. So what did they do? They created a commission, a, a, a British Bill of Rights commission, uh, you know, look into whether we needed a British Bill of Rights. And, uh, and, and on it, the Liberal Democrats put together a panel. It was Anthony Lester, it was um, um, uh, Philippe Sands, it was myself, uh, although, you know, it was a broad church. I mean, let me assure you that, I mean, during the Labour years, I also got concerned at any time where I saw what I considered to be erosions of the rule of law and civil liberties, because law is the thing that, that's what I'm there for. I, uh, law is my life. Law is law is what I really care about. I've done other things, written things, but but headed colleges at Oxford. Law is is who I is what I'm about, and I think it's fundamental. And so wherever I saw it, and I fell out with Labour over certain things that they tried to do, doing away with jury trial and all kinds of things. H however, when it came to the business of sitting on that commission, Nick Clegg created a broad group. The Conservatives didn't. They chose hand-picked right-wingers and Edward Folks was one of them. So when he was put in charge of doing the judicial review thing, I thought it would be um, a, a, a kind of hardline thing of seeing getting rid of it. However, I agree totally with Alec that Alex, that it was um, a very serious piece of work of a, of a, of a clever lawyer and he is a, a clever man. And, um, and, and, and he really, when he looked at judicial review with care, rather than just, um, you know, 
you know, rhetoric, um, he actually found that it was really very important to, to accountability. Um, mm. and, uh, and he um, saw one or two things that he felt could be adjusted, but it was a very, very um, actually good report and pos actually positive about the importance of judicial review in the system. And most judges agree with that. Now, let's remember why they say that it has to be changed. They were saying that it was, I mean, it was an attempt to avoid accountability, but they were saying that it was a power grab I mean, I'm just looking to see, they, they framed it as being that the judicial review has to be curbed as correcting an illegitimate political power grab against elected legislators by unelected judges, right? Now that trope, you know, unelected judges doing bad things, mm. that the very fact that they're unelected is a good thing <laughs> because it puts them to one side. And the other thing that judges do, and they, they learn it by virtue of their training and their many years in the law is to, put to one side their emotional stuff and to really hone in on the law. These are really clever lawyers, far cleverer than I am, and you know, but really, really smart lawyers, the ones that are at the highest level and who are doing these kind of cases. And, um, and so as far as I'm concerned, you know, it was the government seeking to arrogate to itself yet more power. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, it, uh, then what did they do? And, and Edward Folks got up in the House of Lords and said this. He said, I'm afraid that it sounds to me as though um, you're asked to do a report, you do a report, and then they say, we don't like your report, so we're going to have another report. So we get what we want. And that was why they had the second report done. And, uh, and again, they peeled out of Edward's uh, report, you know, little tiny criticisms that he'd made and blew them into, into, into serious stuff. And that's what populist governments do. And we have a populist government. <laughs> so, 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 so that's the story on judicial review. Um, and then on human rights, we've got this idea, and I know there's a review going on, and like you know, it might even be have, have, have come out. Some more might have come out by the time this is um, uh, available as a podcast. But um, th there was a talk about a mechanism. So the, <laughs> this did sound quite totalitarian. Let's have a, a mechanism so ministers can correct human rights decisions by judges when they get it wrong or something like that. Um, I mean, of course, the Human Rights Act is a rather, it's full of checks and balances anyway, isn't it? It's not the case that the judges can just strike down rules of uh, Act of Parliament. And strike down anything in the human rights. Uh, um, uh, you know, what happens is that when it gets to the Supreme Court, if there's, a, if there's any kind of clash, um, between um, uh, Parliament and and uh, and uh, and human rights stuff, the, the judges make their decision and say we think this is contrary to human rights, um, and um, and then it's for government to decide whether they accept that advice um, or whether they legislate to, to um, you know uh, to do something about it or not. But, but we don't strike down. We 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 very specifically do not like the Supreme Court of the United States have those powers vested in our judiciary because our parliamentary de democracy is, is supreme. And so what, um, do you, what do you think he means? Do you think he means that what they're going to start doing is what governments have shrunk from doing up until now, which is to say, right, this is incompatible, but we don't care because they do have some freedom under the legislation to do that, don't they? But generally governments haven't. I mean, that, but that wouldn't be an adjustment of the act. That would be an adjustment of um, just how the government responds. Tom, um, I think that there, there's been confusion in the reporting on this and that the mechanism is a general thing which takes in the Human Rights Act but isn't limited to it. And it's the mechanism is, um, yes, is is not in the act itself or anything like that. It's, uh, at least the idea, is that Parliament would have a way 
to correct in inverted commas the judgments uh, that it thinks the court courts got wrong um whether it's in the field of human rights or anything else so it's it's a general issue the really unusual thing about this is that obviously there is a mechanism to do that parliament can over, can overturn a judgment um it's very rare that it does so i will know much more than me but um but it, the options there um there's all sorts of problems with doing that. It starts to, if you do it a lot, it creates uncertainty about what the law actually is. I mean, one of the key tenets of the rule of law is that it's certain and predictable to an extent. And if we set up a situation where there's a, a mechanism regularly used um, for overturning unpopular or controversial judgments made by the Supreme Court, then you start to lose that certainty. Um, but what I'm really interested in is what the mechanism could be that doesn't already exist because it sounds to me dangerously like um, they're talking about ministerial powers rather than, I mean, if parliament itself already has the option of correcting judgments, then to introduce something else sounds dangerously like they mean ministers should have the power themselves under some sort of secondary legislation or, or something. Can, really can, can, can I, can oh. I just come, come into this? You see, Let's. I, I don't want us to leave the judicial review thing entirely because you see, as far as I, I mean, the truth is that what we've got in a bill in the judicial review bill may look like sort of rather technical, sort of you know, um, uh, relatively narrow uh, sort of uh, uh, changes, right? Um, comparatively speaking, to what we were all in fear of, um, but it was. It's it's a way. It's an opening skirmish. It's, 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 a, it's an effort to shield government um, from legitimate oversight. And I think that a lot of this stuff is about doing the very thing that Alex has spoken about, is to create the chilling effect, is to have the impact on a set of judges who are sitting there at the top of this um, pyramid, um, um, uh, you know, the appeal court, the, 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 but as you go up, our senior judiciary watching all of this are learning lessons and there's a messaging going on and the messaging is that um you know we 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 you know are coming after you and so what they do is they start themselves self-adjusting possibly not even conscious of it but they start retreating from anything that might bring them into conflict with the with the with with the government because they think this could lead to something constitutionally um, um a, a very bad wind an ill wind constitutionally where they start going after how judges are appointed and so on and so they themselves are self-safeguarding yeah and, and they're not self-safeguarding because they're protecting their jobs they're self-safeguarding because they do know why an independent judiciary is so important to uh constitutionally to to the success of this nation and so you know that their, their purpose is real um, but this crowd do not respect law. And let me just remind you about the business of Ireland, where they introduced that piece of law, which was totally dismissive of international law. Yes, we'll break international law. You know, they've just, they just had signed an, a treaty and they were prepared to disregard it. You'll mm -hmm. remember all of that. And Alex will fill you in in the detail after this. But they, they, these are people who don't have, a they are deregulators. That, that, that libertarian streak is about we don't like rules and uh, and law unfortunately for them is based uh, about it's about rules and it's the rules which make a decent society work and these guys don't like rules 
and they certainly don't like when they're applied to them. But it sounds like, I mean, you're, you're describing more of a kind of campaign of intimidation. So the intent might be serious, but we shouldn't assume that there's a wicked kind of plan in Dominic Robb's Dominic, house. Listen, Tom, when, I'm not suggesting to you here that there's somebody sitting in as a cabal in a dark room. This, these things generate from how you view the world. There are, uh, there's a group of people who are currently in government um, uh, who are... Who, who basically, their instinct, they are of a different sort of, they're cut from a different cloth um, 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 in terms of conservatism. I don't believe yes. this is conservatism, you see. Um, this, these, these are people who are radical neoliberals. And, and, uh, and, uh, and they still believe in neoliberal economics, even in the face of its failure, because we're now seeing a large amount of its failure in the problems that we have presented to the world as it currently is. Yeah. I'm not speaking to you as some mad left winger who's seeing a right wing conspiracy. I, you know, I sit on the center left, right? Um, I, I fall out with the, fell out with new, new labor over the rule of law. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, 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 what, I'm, what I'm trying to get at is the idea that it's less important in a way what the exact proposal is than the, the way that, you know, saying we're going to change the Human Rights Act. It's not the detail of what they'll do. It's, it's the fact that they keep saying they'll do it and the fact that they're running a kind of campaign um, is the thing that moves public opinion, uh, moves the judges. It's not the detail of their proposal in the end that matters because it might not, they might not have even thought it through. It's, it, it's, it's just a constant noise. It's a constant noise, but the constant noise is one of those things that um, um, when Alex talks about a culture war, it's, it's, it's what, pop look, populist governments always go after law, always, historically. If you look, you know, they go after the judiciary. Now, I'm, I'm not suggesting Boris Johnson is, uh, is Orban, Victor Orban's, you know, mirror image, but you only have to look at what happens. What you do is you don't like criticism, you know, so they go after the critics. They don't like uh, um, organs that um, might be critical of them. They don't like, um, uh, um, uh, you know, no wonder the BBC is, in, is always in government's sightlines. But with a populist government, they also go after the other ways in which they can be constrained. You get you look around and say, where are their inhibitions on our power to do things? Why are these bastards stopping us doing these things? Mm. And then they look at ways in, in, in which you can prevent that happening. And so almost invariably, law goes in, you know, is in the sightlines of this kind of government that is a populist government. And so what you do is your, your, your line to the public is, human rights, a load of crap. Look who's using it. It's a way of giving rights to asylum seekers and criminals and so on. Uh, you know, we know that rhetoric. And, um, and for me, it, the danger of that rhetoric is that it, it actually feeds, it, it, it's, it, it unravels really important stuff in, in, in our constitutional arrangements. And, and what we've got just now, I do believe, is a Supreme Court that is stepping back a bit, is saying, let's avoid... And they might even not be even doing it consciously. They might not be sitting in a room saying, let's do this, but they have, they've, they've smelt the zeitgeist. Right, I've got you. And so Alex, what's interesting to me about this is I thought we were having quite a legal discussion. It's turned out to be a very, very political discussion. And you can see parts of the same politics playing out in unrelated processes, such as uh, the recent row about Owen Patterson and whether he should be 
suspended from Parliament. And then <laughs> rather than just deal with the case, it's like, let's rewrite the rules in midstream. There's also another process going on in another neck of the woods about appointing the chair to Ofcom, where Paul Dacre, the former editor of the Daily Mail, uh, has been um, like rejected his suitability by one panel. <laughs> so now they're looking at running another panel. So um, maybe the point uh, isn't to get bogged down in the legal stuff, but just to say it's this um, not 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 you know the law is a subset of respect for rules much more generally that, that they seem content to trample on. What do you um, I agree that the yes, I think it's a very wide phenomenon taking in the Ofcom thing as well, really alarming. Um, and the law is sort of a subset, but then uh, some of these other issues that might not seem to do, be to do with the law kind of are, is, is, is the first one. But also I agree with Helena that um, law is about rules and it's it's a, if it's a subset, it's a fundamental one. Um, just even uh, conceptually, because it's uh, it distills, it's the purest form of rules and the way they're enforced, if, if you see what I mean. And so it's um, worth looking at in special detail. So you, I, want, I want to challenge you, Tom. Yeah. I want to challenge you because you said, oh, I thought we were here to talk about law and we're, we're spending all our time talking about politics. Legal questions, the legal questions that are raised, for example, in judicial review or sometimes in relation to human rights or about the, the nature of our judiciary and who, who they are and, and, and so on. The legal questions raised are political insofar as they are about the wielding of state power. Mm. And that's political. Yeah. But judicial review is not about second guessing policy choices. Um, you know, it, it's about upholding legislation and that's what judges do. Mm. Um, and a judge's role is to check the decisions that are made, you know, um, um, by government. And at times that inevitably involves, um, you know, disappointment by government. They don't like being criticised. And that doesn't matter whether you're a Labour government or a, or a Conservative government, but it's how you respond to that. And what this crowd are, are doing is they're saying, OK, we, we, we don't say we don't just feel disgruntled, but no, these guys actually um, are, 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 are deal with it in a very different way. Can and, I and that worries me about a very, a very, you know, another question about the interface between politics and the law as, as a final question, which is, um, you know, they haven't been clear always about what they're doing which um, should mean that like the House of Lords might feel more emboldened to stand up to them. Um, they can whip a lot through the House of Commons. Um, um, are you worried that they will be able to do big things on this agenda before the election? Or do you think if they're gonna do anything serious in terms of like ripping up judicial review, ripping up the Human Rights Act or whatever, they'd have to put it in a manifesto and then ram it through with the Parliament Act? Um. <clears throat> Can I say, I, I find it very difficult to, 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 they seem to stagger from one thing to another. I'm not sure that there is a very real constructed, you see, that's why, I, that's why I laugh when you say this is some, I'm suggesting some right-wing conspiracy. I'm not suggesting a right-wing conspiracy. I think you've got a crowd of lads, essentially lads, who are, uh, who come together and make it up as they go along. And because they're not grown-ups, they don't have a proper strategy, and they, so 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 you get this sort of these strange 
responses to things, you know, you know, just kick them in the ghoulies, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a weird way of doing government. Um, but, uh, you know, if they want, if, if governments want to modify laws and so on, you can legislate for it. And we're, we're, you know, they're doing plenty of that as well. Um, but this other stuff is cultural, as Alex said, and um, and that's where we should be, be really concerned. To start turning people and make people hostile about judges is really a very damaging thing in our society because judges, you know, in, in the great uh, uh, firmament, um, judges re have remained, by and large, certainly at the senior level, deeply respected in this country. To start attacking them, is, I mean, these very highly principled, motivated people was disgusting. The whole business of the Daily Mail, enemies of the people, um, the business of going after and saying um, so-and-so is married to somebody who, you know, uh, is, does such, is, is, is European or does something, you know, it was, all that was, was poisonous. The, the one, sorry to interject, the one I liked was um, openly gay Olympic ex-fencer, one of the judges, and I thought, Fair enough. I um, you know, it sounds like someone I'd quite like to be friends with. Yeah, I mean, I mean, what's that all about? And they know, they know the better the buttons to 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 press. Um, I mean, they want to be above the law. They want to place government, their government, above the law, and that, and I don't like that. Okay, that's that. In in a sense, is the uh, is the the general charge on which I think it makes a lot of sense uh, to draw stumps for the day. So, Helena, thanks very much for joining us. Thank you also um, to Alex. Um, I should say our producer this week was David McAllister. Um, thanks to all of you for listening. I hope we haven't depressed you too much about the state of the nation and the rot of its heart. But if you enjoyed this podcast enjoys the word please do leave us a rating or a review goodbye stay safe and we'll see you next week Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 